today I am joined here with Croydon Women's FC's finest. I have Sophie Reed right back and I also have Sarah Nicholson left wing. Thank you ladies for honestly joining me. I genuinely appreciate you guys taking the time. No worries at all. Thank you for having us. <laughs> it's honestly an honour. So let me start off with the first question. How did you get into football? Sarah, you want to go? <laughs> well, um, I've been doing it for a minute. So like over like 20 years now. So um, how did I get into football? I grew up in the like in in an estate. So like all of my friends were playing football because like I was a tomboy and everyone was a boy. And that's all we did. And that's how we came together as a community. So we had like, I'm not going to be like, yeah, we had like gangbangers just playing football. <laughs> so it was that and my brother as well. My brother had the biggest influence on me. I wanted to be like him, not realising he was like a, a boy and I was a girl and it was like different standards, but yeah. So um, for me, um, I'd probably say my mum was my biggest influence. So my mum was a has always been a football fan. So from like such a young age, there was always football on the TV. Like as soon as I could walk, I was I was already running around kicking a ball without even knowing what I was doing. So for as long as I can remember, like my mum has been the influence and sort of like prompted me to to keep going. And similar to Sarah, being the only girl that's involved in it, and you know participating on like at school or outside, like just kicking about with your neighbours, it's one of those ones. Honestly, it sounds beautiful, you know, like how you guys are, you know, are talking about it. So would you say your inspiration would kind of be a family member? You know, your, Sarah, you said your brother, Sophie, you said, you know, your mum. That's generally kind of where the inspiration um, started from. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I think for me as well, I do have like a like a famous football figure that I've always like sort of had a, it, like, has been my inspiration as well. So um Solskjaer for my United from a young age like he was always like injury prone but then kept on battling and then would always like come off of the bench and do like magic stuff but he wasn't seen as someone that was you know the most important player on the pitch so it was just one of those ones where it just made me want to sort of keep playing as well as obviously my mum being an influence. For sure so what challenges would you say that you've faced as a female footballer you know and how would you say you've overcome them? Um, um, for me, <laughs> um, for I think I think for as a female, it's quite common in regards to, especially like obviously previously and previous years growing up, it was there wasn't many teams or you didn't know how to get into it. There wasn't the funding, there wasn't the facilities. So it was literally like unless you like word of mouth through someone else, like oh, have you know? Do you know about this one? Then it was a bit more like you wouldn't know really where to go. Like I played for a boys team all through my childhood until I was like 14 years old when I found a girls team. So there's, there's definitely that, that obvious barrier of the lack of acknowledgement and support, obviously, back in the day. That's crazy. Sarah, how about yourself? Um, I think for me, it was always not being taken seriously. So like we went to a primary school where it was just like, I think there was three of us that wanted to play football, three girls. And they didn't want to take us seriously until we were just like, no, we really, really want to do this. We're really good at it. And we fought for it. And then we ended up merging teams with like two other primary schools because we didn't have enough girls. But then we ended up winning the league. So they started taking us more seriously and just went on from there. 
Do you feel like, um, you know, the fact that they're not taking you seriously was the reason why there wasn't much, you know, spotlight on it, there's not much funding, people weren't acknowledged about it? Do you think it kind of works hand in hand, those points? Yeah, I feel like, like, still to this day, there's still that stigmatism that it's a man's sport. So people believe that when it comes to women's football, it's boring and the women don't play as seriously or they don't play as well as the men. And it's just like, no, we're in our own league. We play our football. Mm-hmm. We play it just as well as the men. Um, we're, a, we're just as entertaining, especially if you've seen like Croydon versus Sutton. <laughs> we are pretty entertaining. Um, so I think people just really need to kick that stigmatism because we're worth it. No, definitely. Like I've heard from Sophie, you know, the battles and everything that you guys put on, you definitely, you know, have put on a show. So it's amazing to hear, you know, your stories and just you guys just spreading a bit more light on it. So um, can you share a memorable moment or, you know, any achievements that you've achieved so far in your football careers? Um, For me, there's a couple. So one, as as a young player, there was a couple seasons in a row where I got managers player of the season, like consistently. And it was like, okay, the recognition is there. The hard work that I'm putting in is there. But more recently, I'm going I'm to keep it very recent. It's like a couple of weeks ago, um, Croydon women haven't been in the FA Cup for like 23 years. And then like two weeks ago, we, we, it's only the qualifying rounds, but the fact that we've not been in it, considering we like back in like the 1990s, we had won the whole cup. We, we're in the first qualifying round and we were losing 2-0 right until like the last 10 minutes. And then we came back to draw 2-2 and won on penalties, um, 5-4. And I took the last penalty and I've never taken the last penalty. I've normally been one in the middle. Um, so taking the last penalty and then like the rush of everyone running over. Even Sarah wasn't there, but she was there on FaceTime. <laughs> she was yeah. watching it live and direct. Like it was just like uh, the rush was incredible. I can't even lie. That is amazing. Just, you know, knowing that you guys have that opportunity now, you're in a women's club and that you're able to get, you know, rightful awards that you ladies deserve. That gives me so much joy just to hear it. Sarah, how about yourself? Any um, memorable, achievable moments? Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like every season that I continue to play is like an achievable moment because I feel with all the things that we go through day to, like on a day-to-day basis, it's just like, when I get to another season, it's like, I've been doing this for a while. I'm glad I'm mm-hmm. still able to do it. So I think that in itself is the biggest achievement. And after that, I can't really think of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, I agree though as well. Like, I think that's honestly great. Definitely, like you said, day-to-day and then getting on the pitch and playing. And then as you get old, obviously, life changes outside of football, but you're still going. It's, it's good. Like being part of a club, I think that's like the biggest part, you know, that you have somewhere to go, you have something to fight for. You know, all of you guys are putting your all in. That definitely, you know, plays a big impact. So I'm, I'm glad you guys have that in Croydon's Women FC. <laughs> so what advice would you give young girls who inspire to become fresh, professional footballers? Sorry, Sarah, would you like to go first? Uh... <laughs> I would say work hard. I think that goes without a doubt. Like work hard. Um, like always keep your eyes on the prize because you are going to be. Like, I feel like with with men's football, I won't say it's very easy to get into, but like there are so much more opportunities to get into a more advanced club 
because there's so many clubs willing to pay. But with women's football, there's only like a handful of women's football teams that you can get into to start your career. So be willing to work hard and like take no for an answer, but keep going. And then sometimes be willing to like outdo your friend. Like I love Sophie, but if it came down to like me and Sophie being picked for England, bro, I'm gonna outplay Sophie the hardest I can. I'll be there with my sign for you. Don't worry. Support it. I'll do a FaceTime for you, man. Just like I was in Bali. I'll do a FaceTime. <laughs> Sophie, how about yourself? I think I think it's a similar thing to Sarah. Like, if you want something and you have that interest, like, despite what barriers are in your in your way, work for it. Like, put in that work. Show them that you can when they tell you you can't. Like, there's so many times, like we've said previously, the stereotypes and, you know, the limitations of the opportunities and stuff like that. But you push through them and you're going to get to where you want to go. Yes, we are still limited, like Sarah said, but you've got to work through them and keep persevering to get to where you want to be. So how do you think um, the women's game has evolved throughout the years? Um, there's more recognition, like way more. From when I was a kid, it was like, they were basically Sunday league players because most of the women had to have another job to support themselves, even though they were professional footballers. <clears throat> but now we're getting to the point where it can be their only job but there's still such a long way to go because you still have teams like Crystal Palace ladies that were getting paid by the men because... Sorry, there's so much shine in my house. Um, <laughs> they were still getting paid. They were getting paid by the men because that's what they were um, like. That's what the men wanted to do for the women. And I think it's really unfair because everybody there is professional athletes. So no, I think I think the same. Um, it has it has come along. Don't get me wrong. Like we're now selling out stadiums. Like even like club teams, not just nationally. Like club teams are selling out stadiums now too, and getting like you know the FA Cup, uh, Wembley's getting sold out and stuff like that. But it's nowhere near where it should be. Like there is still that gap, and yeah, the finances and they're getting paid for it has developed. But compared to men. There's still such a massive gap from like weekly paid to yearly pay. Like it's ridiculous. So it has come along the the recognition, the sort of it's getting a bit more popular. People are showing more interest in it. But then the actual like behind the scenes aspect and like the money and the support, it's still got a long way to go. No, hundred percent. I mean, I think the women's World Cup definitely has given quite a lot of spotlight to it. But like you said, there's so much more that needs to be covered. So what would you say are some of the misconceptions that are there, um, you know, for women's football clubs? <laughs> um, or even stereotypes that people have. I'm, I'm going to go out there with the, with the most obvious one. If you play football, you're gay. I Bro, I was going to say exactly that. Not every girl <laughs> that plays football is gay. That is Honestly, true. it's like if you're playing a boys' school, you're playing this, you know, you might have a certain look about you, so you have to be gay because that's what you're doing. I've it, heard it just doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't personally heard, you know, that you're gay, but I do understand potentially where the angle they're coming from, but that is completely wrong. That needs to be changed. 100%.
I think we've come definitely a long way and even like, you know, you do see quite a lot of girls on TikTok now with big, big clubs that are, you know, still trying to show their feminine side, but still kicking ass on the pitch. Yeah, I think there's there's that expectation as well. Like you have to maybe like dress a certain weight off of the pitch because you wear a football kit. You have to, mm. you know, dress more like masculine or something like that when you you can be your own person just how you want to dress how do you balance both your football career with you know just your day-to-day -day life and family and everything i know you know sophie you had to do everything to get here today so i know it's you know such a juggle just to balance everything how do you do it and i think because football for me personally has been like such an important like factor and role growing up and just even in adulthood now like I always make sure that I've made that time for football. So whether it's training in the evening, I'll, I'll be there. If I'm late, I'm late, but I'll be there. If it's a, a Sunday matches, told my boss I can't work Sundays. <laughs> um, but like, it is difficult, like, you know, the stress of work or like the busyness of a day and being tired. It's like, it's something for me to look forward to when I've had a stressful week, seeing my team, seeing the people that I enjoy playing football with and get on with, like, it is it is that release and it is, you know, takes you away from the busyness of your everyday life. Yeah, I think, um, like, for me, especially in recent years, because I keep changing jobs, I always <laughs> schedule, like, I should always set my like schedule around football so when it comes to like interviews and they get to that final part where it's like uh is there any days you can't do and I'm always like Sundays, <laughs> Don't Sundays. can't work Sundays I'm like not even in the morning I'm like mm, nope <laughs> I really can't and I normally do like the um training days as well but yeah so I factor like I schedule my life around football which sounds a bit obsessive but it works for me because it's like what I need for me to like continue on in a good mindset. No, I, I agree with you. Like for me, it's exactly the same. Like even in the evenings, like I don't necessarily work evenings, but with training and if someone's like, oh, do you want to do dinner? Do you want to go out to this place or do this? I'm like, not Tuesday, sorry. Any other day, but not yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> I, I honestly, I admire and respect the commitment because you know, that's where it's got you ladies today. So, you know, hats off and everything. So. What you're doing is fabulous. Just keep it up. Thank you. So are there any, you know, any challenges um, or opportunities that you think female footballers face, you know, in terms of like sponsorship or media coverage or fan support? All of the above, especially depending on like what league you play. So where Sophie's going to have to help me out because I just show up for football and I don't really know what's going mm -hmm. on. Believe me. What, what, what tier? What, what, where are we? We're, we're, we're one of the lower what, lower tiers. Um, the league that we're in. Give me two seconds. Uh, Southeast Counties Women League. So it's like tier, like either the bottom or the second to bottom tier. Um, and we just don't get that recognition for sponsorship or you know supplying Sp of equipment or you know just having that. Even fans like. Now we've got more fans because we've changed our location of where we're playing our home games to the same place as the men were playing their home games. But oh, wow. prior to that, it would be the person that's dropping you off to football stays and watches you. Or, you know, yeah. an odd friend that comes down because they're free on a Sunday. Or parents. Yeah, now it's like we're building a fan base, which is great. And um, 
it's it's kind of sad that it's gotten to the point. Well, it's gotten it's taken this long to build a fan base because we are great footballers and we can play great football and we're actually pretty entertaining as a as a club. <laughs> like, celebrations and not just our encounters on the pitch, but like we're pretty entertaining. So I'm pretty like it's just like it's sad when I when I look up and I don't see as many people as I want to see because mm-hmm. they deserve to watch us play football in a non-selfish, egotistical way. So, Sarah, do you have, like, any pre-game rituals or anything, you know, you do in particular before you're stepping on the pitch, <laughs> right, on them Sunday morning throw? Um, okay. So, when I was younger, it used to be I had to wear the exact same things every single week. And I don't know if that has to do with, like, autism or just, like, ritual, but it was always the same undershorts, the same undershirt, the same, like, undergarments, the same socks. And then I had to wear yeah 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 I'm all about hygiene don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> I, I always have to wear it the same way and like I wouldn't undo my boots so I'll just slip my feet in them um but oh. now it's a bit different I've like I've grown out some of these things because things get old and they get holy and I have to go out them, but I, yeah or sometimes I forget like me and Sophie used to like slap hands before the match and at one point we just stopped and then I think we realised the other day that we hadn't done it in yeah. a really long time. I think it was when we but, stopped playing. We, we had the season, the two seasons playing. apart where we played at different teams um, okay. within like the 10 years of knowing each other. And I think because we had that gap apart, <laughs> um, when we then came back, we were like, hold on a minute, something's missing. Yeah. No, it, is, it is a thing. Like Sarah hasn't, hadn't been there for like two weeks at the beginning of the season. And I felt lost. I was like, do, do I do it with someone else? No. That's not right. You don't do it with someone else. Stick to what you know. I'm like like the kid that started school in the middle of the year and I have no (laughs) friends. You lot have already played two matches and I'm just like, I've got to catch up now. (laughs) So how do you stay motivated and focused during a game, you know, or, you know, when you're facing any setbacks? Sophie, do you want to take the lead? Um, For me, uh, obviously, as captain of the team like you have to stay positive like I, I'm not a negative person anyway on a pitch like I'm there to play football I'm there to work as a team so make sure we're doing it so like on the pitch I don't shut up talking I'm constantly like praising people I'm telling them to you know what the best option is on the pitch what to do and even when like negative situations happen like a bad tackle or something like that like I will be there like it's not needed like we're doing better we're playing better than them it's because they're frustrated like play our game let's get on with it so I, for me, like, I have to be that positive person because people are going to lose their heads. People are going to get irritated at situations. I, I want us to do good. I want us to do well. I want us to progress as a team. So I, I am there, like, just motivating. And I think doing that and seeing the team playing well gives me my own motivation. So like, when I see a good little link up, I'm like, do you know what? We're, we're all right, aren't we? Like, we're not too bad. So it like gives that own like positivity and reinforcement for for me myself as well. I'm the complete opposite. <laughs> like Sophie's yin and I'm yang. I'm the opposite. So That's like, why we work. That's why we work. I know. Um, I get in my head over the littlest things, but that's because I'm like hypercritical of my performance. Um, obviously, in like recent years, I've decided to try to shift my mindset and try to be a little bit more positive. So my outward speech would be a whole lot more positive but in my head I'm just like you could do this a whole lot better but I try not to do it as much because then if I spend too much time up here it doesn't on the pitch 
But um, yeah, Sophie does a really good job of of keeping a lot of people motivated. And sometimes we had like um, big up to Warren. Warren was it like he was one of the our old players' dad. He was like he would always I don't know he would just motivate me to 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 score to do something. Because I think it's just his vibe. Like he came with good energy. No, you don't understand. When it came to second half and we were on the other side, I was on the other side of the pitch. You'd be like, Sarah, you're going to score this one. I'm like, I don't know. I think so. Manifestation. It'll happen. Like, Warren was my guy and I I miss him like every day. (laughs) No, that's that's honestly great that you have, you know, so many positive um, role models and figures around you guys to give you that support. And, you know, sometimes there can be setbacks that you you can't really stop mentally when you're thinking about it. But just having someone to kind of guide you through or just giving you the props. So you're like, I can do this. Like, I'm doing good. It kind of reinforces you. So it is really great to hear that you guys have those supports. I don't even know what word I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) So have you ever faced any mental health challenges in your football career and if so how did you overcome them do you want to go <laughs> uh yeah i'll go so i have depression and um i think in the last two seasons i was going through like an episode which just made it a lot more difficult to play football mm-hmm. especially like last season where i wanted to quit and I had to have like a few conversations with like Sophie and my therapist and like people that understood how much football meant to me and what it does and um, I think because mental health is such a heavy thing to carry and when you're trying to do it by yourself and if you don't like necessarily share it with someone that you trust on your team not everybody's going to understand why you're moving a certain way or why you're being a certain way so like when I confided in Sophie and she was there to help me out and stuff, it was it did take a load of, but also having the weight of the world kind of makes it heavy. And then sometimes football also becomes like the thing that doesn't help you anymore. So that's when I wanted to quit. Then like also having the people there, that was like, you can do this, you can get through this. And kind of, it's a bit of a weird juggle, but you just, you work with it, you work with the people around you and you just kind of confide in someone that you trust and you keep going if you can. No, 100%, like, you know, just just hearing that, just knowing that you had someone there and, you know, throughout the difficult times, you, you know, you stayed strong and you stayed true to yourself and that, you know, having everyone there and you, you genuinely took that time for yourself. I, I'm glad, you know, where you are, where you are today, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you've come overcome such a big thing. Like I, I suffer with anxiety and PTSD and just sometimes there are days where I feel like I just want to quit everything. But then when I do talk to certain people, it kind of reminds me what my strengths are, what my talents are and like what I'm kind of good at. So it kind of reinforces me. So I, I understand a little bit what it's like, but just knowing, you know, hearing the passion that you've had for football for 20 years and, you know, coming to a women's football club, you've, you've come so far. So having Sophie there to guide you is beautiful. So Sophie, on your end, how did you find that being captain and being there to guide someone? Um, so me and Sarah go way back. Um, uh, I think we've known each other almost 10 years now and we met through football. So it was like one of those friendships where 
you know you don't expect it to happen but then you know whether it's because you get the same bus so then you're talking to them on the bus so then you know you realize you live around the corner so we've actually like built up such a strong friendship so even despite being a captain like that doesn't even play a factor into it sort of thing like she was struggling so I had to make sure that I was there to to support her so there were games when she didn't want to play and you know one one of the days where we had 10 players against Sutton and she had already told me prior to this she was like I'm not playing Sophie I need a week off I'm not playing and then our coach at the time was like is Sarah coming because Sarah was going to come and watch but she was like I can't I can't play I just need that time off and I, I rung her for the coach because he was like, see, see if she'll play. And I was like, I'm going to try it, but I know where she's at right now. You know, it's not going to work. So I rung her. She was like, I don't really want to. And I, I don't even think she decided whilst on the phone to me. I think it was more of a like, you know, I'm going to bring my stuff. If I feel up to it, I'll get involved. And like I on the phone call, I was just like, to her, look, I know what's going on. Like, don't feel like you have to play. I'm just doing it because Uche is in my ear right now, pestering me. So it was just one of those ones like, do what you need to do for yourself. And that, that will always be my thing. When she was contemplating quitting, I was like, if you need that season off, take that season off. I had a season off. Mine was more when I was like a teenager though, where you just need that break to reset yourself, focus on your mind on other things, focus on, for me, it was during um, year 11, so it was GCSEs and my team had folded. So I was like, I don't know what I'm meant to do with myself now. My team's gone. So what do I do? And then it was literally like the year after that, I met Sarah. So it was like sort of like a blessing in disguise where, you know, we've come together and we've, we have supported each other through tough times, whether it be for Sarah, whether it be for me. So it's, it's making sure that you have to do what's best for you, even though you love something. If it's not the thing that's helping you at that moment, you need to figure it out before you can rebuild that love for, for the, the, the sport for, in this example. I think that day for the Sutton one, sorry, that day for the Sutton one, I think this decision was, the person that just interrupted me as well, she was <laughs> a big factor in that. She was like, it's like it's it's kind of bigger than you. Like, they're your family, they kind of need you. So it was a sort of a situation like, you look kind of need me to show up for you, so let me show up for you. And I feel like it gave me a, like a weird sense of purpose today. And then I came off the pitch being a, a lot better. And then when I went to therapy, it was great. <laughs> no, great. I think adding, adding to that as well, like we, like we did need you. And honestly, when you came and you played, I was like, I, I'm so thankful for you and the person that you are and even just playing, playing the match. Do you know what I mean? Especially because we got a good result. I mean, it was a draw, but it was still a good result against Sutton. So we take the wins. Um, but yeah, it, it, is, it, it is warming when, you know, there's the people around you that you may not feel the love initially, but like Sarah said, in times like that, they are there for you without you actually knowing it. For sure. So, you know, what role do you think sports, you know, especially football, play promoting, you know, mental health well-being? Um, I think it creates, so like, as someone that does suffer from like mental health issues, I know that I should be doing some sort of physical activity every single day to boost like the serotonin levels and dopamine levels. So not only does it do it, like it provides that. I forgot my words. <laughs> it, provides, it provides what you need, like biologically, but also That's provides like, a safe space and like a group of people, like an extended family that accept you for what like 
who you really are sometimes and what you can do and stuff and it's not like they necessarily need something from you they just want you to be there and show up and play with them so it provides like a safe space for you to be who you are and not necessarily have to speak but do something that you love but also provides like a biological need as well so yeah I, I agree with that in a sense obviously the the actual scientific and biological aspects like people don't realize how much exercising does actually benefit you without like realizing that and not as in like physically your body but in a sense of like in your mental mental health and like you know your like Sarah said serotonin and stuff like that um for me I know that every every post season so at the end of every season uh like it's just so bummy like I feel like a bum I can't lie <laughs> Um, so and it, and it does impact me like this this summer just gone we had training but it wasn't necessarily the best or we had like one match every two three weeks and I was just like I can't I can't I can't do this like exercise has such an important role especially when you've done it for so long that when it stops it's like it takes it I can't lie it like takes a part away from you like a, a part of you away from you sort of thing because it is what builds you it is what makes you who you are so it I think Men, uh, with mental health and exercising they, they work so well alongside each other and like the benefits all round physically, mentally like people need like it needs that acknowledgement a bit more No, 100% I, I, I genuinely agree the acknowledgement has to be there so is there anything in particular maybe football clubs or communities can do to show better support or maybe address mental health um, needs for athletes? Oh <laughs> um i think with with a lot of women's football because we do have male coaches i think having or having them being able or willing to have conversations about mental health and not playing it off as a, a, a woman's just being sensitive or mm. we're just in our feelings but I feel like that also goes for men's football as well because they also get the stigmatism of you're not manly enough if you're going through some mental health issues. And I feel like having coaches or any management staff being able and open and willing to have the conversation, that could help a player like staying in sport would be good enough. Maybe, um, I don't know, I don't know. No, I think I think yeah. that is that is such a huge area. Like you don't have those conversations with your coaches. Like they yeah. don't know what's going on with you, like behind the scenes. They just see you come to training and see you turn up for a match and playing football. Um, I think, like you said, with the females, they're being sensitive. And I think you said it with with like the men about them, like you know they're not manly enough. But then also on the flip side, in regards to like the aggression side of things, like when they get angry and when they flip out, like there could be an underlying reason as to why their emotions are a, more, a lot more heightened sort of thing. So having having the coaches or even having like an, a, a delegated person in a team, like to be the person that you can go to if you are struggling, if you want to talk about something, I think that that would make such a difference both in like youth football and like adult football. No, honestly, I, I totally agree. I mean, just talking to you both ladies has been absolutely amazing. You've, you've given me so much knowledge to just go back and think with. And I feel like there's so many people and, and women especially that need to hear some of these points of views and, and just know that there is success within this. 
so sure. thank Definitely. you so much you know sarah and sophie for taking the time today and and spreading some light no thank you thank for having us Thanks. and guys with that note i'm going to end the episode thank you so much for tuning in till next monday bye bye